again, everyone. Tom Oglesby in the KCRD FM 98.3 studios with Colleen Pasnick and Janet Wigner. And join us in prayer as we begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee. O Virgin of virgins, my mother, to thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, that in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the chatter. What have we got chattering this week? Well, I've got a few headlines. We had a week off um, for Labor Day. Did you miss me? I did actually. I missed both of you. Hmm. Yeah. Did you miss me, or were I did, you just yeah, asking? Yeah. <laughs> we all missed you, Janet. But you were off in the wilderness enjoying God's beauty. Yes. I got to get in the woods every once in a while. Pictures look great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a a good little trip. I advise everybody to do that. I try to do something like that once a month. There you go. Just a little mini retreat. Take good. my Bible and a good book and. Uh, Recharge. Recharge. Get uh, get my virtues aligned and my vices kicked out. Do you feel that helps you in your spiritual focus to be out in nature? Yeah, and I also think that when I go to Mass, I actually was thinking about this on the way back today, was, uh, you know, we all are given grace when we go to Mass. But I think sometimes when you experience nature outside in the wilderness when you see God's creation and God's beauty. Couple that with the grace coming from receiving Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and the divinity. It's it's like just unbelievable some of the things that come to me. Um, not only spiritually with more depth of meaning, but also things where I always try to pay attention to where do I need to amend my life? Mm-hmm. You know, because so often we see the faults in others, but do we really look inside of our hearts? And yeah, I get to recharge, but these types of little mini retreats give me the opportunity just to say, okay, here's what you look like, and it ain't pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't pretty, folks. But by the same token, knowing that you have the mercy of God and God's grace and the use of the sacraments, confession and mass specifically and routinely, um, it gives you the strength, the inspiration to keep on striving to get through the, the narrow needle, mm. um, the narrow eye of the needle. Yeah. I think you make a good point about the combination of the sacraments with nature. You know, a lot of times we hear, well, I don't need to go to church. I just go outside. Yeah. And uh, that's where I can mm. commune with God. But I think you make a good point about connecting the importance of the sacraments, receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, confession, the sacraments, and then being in nature and seeing how they really complement one another, make it more powerful of a punch. They do. And, you know, I I feel sorry for people that um, buy into the lie or the idol that, um, you know, I'm an outdoors person, so I like to hike, I like to fish, I like to hunt. And when you're out in nature like that, it, it, it is um, captivating and there's so many things that you see um, and where I was at this past week was very very north and it's bear country right and I'm by myself 
So I'm on a, a hike that's in a very populated area, so I wasn't too worried. But I spooked up something, and, you know, it just it gets your adrenaline going. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And here it was, just another white-tailed deer. I could see the tail go bouncing in the woods. <laughs> I'm wow. like, oh. Wow. <laughs> Being chased by a black bear. Oh, <laughs> yes. yeah. I would just have to give in. <laughs> Hot on its tail. But, you know, I think the even the pagans... Um, people that don't have a, a church or a faith per se can see and be convinced of the existence of God through nature. Oh, Wasn't yeah. Wasn't that one of Aquinas's five proofs of God? Like just to nature, all the things when you look around that just couldn't happen by chance. Or if there was a big bang, you know, they would all just kind of fall into place. Mm-hmm. I think I think nature is one of those proofs. And, and I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Right, Brad Markham? You're an Aquinas <laughs> guy. But anyway, so it's nice to combine those two things, the actual sacraments and church and being outside. Yeah, one of the things I just would want to say is that we have to be careful in circumstances like that where it is so captivating and you choose that over not going to church. And that's a danger because that's an idol. You're placing something, um, you're placing actually the creation over the creator. So just a heads up on that. Well put. Mm -hmm. Well, it's good to have you back. Well, thank you. You look rested. Do I? That's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to believe, though, that you have headlines for us being out there in the sticks with yeah. no newspapers. or. But I'd be you... a liar. I mean, I try to detach, but by the same token, it's just like I allow myself less time. But yeah. I still have to look at the news because I'm still a junkie. And I think there's a, there's also a responsibility in it. Um, so I, what caught your eye? What caught my eye? Well, this your... is like two weeks' time frame, so... Not that I've been gone for two weeks, but I've tracked things for Fasten the last two weeks. Fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> I thought, you know, we live in this world where we were just talking. We feel like all we do so often is just talk about the vax and mm-hmm. mandates and what's new this week, what's new last week, blah, 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 blah. But one of the things that did catch my attention was um, Michael Matt had a program where he showed um, the, uh, is it the Prime Minister of Canada, is Trudeau, mm-hmm. Justin mm-hmm. Trudeau, and there was a huge protest and he may be ousted and the exciting thing about that is people are getting tired of being lied to about these vaccines about the liberal agenda so why why might he be ousted what are people are they upset about the lockdown the man what are they upset yes about? Do you remember? yes and yes and yes okay. it's basically protesting all of the mandates and um because of the vaccines and the masks and wherever they're at um it's just people and it's not only canada i mean we've seen this in france um, we saw it in Italy, what, two weeks ago? Ireland, Italy, Ireland? France, mm-hmm. Germany, mm-hmm. Yeah. Australia. Yeah. Right. And now the UK, I see, has backed off their requiring vaccine passports. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a good time. And the thing is, is that if you get COVID, so far one of the statistics that I saw is that you're 13 times more likely not to, you know, contract anything or what, I'm saying that incorrectly, but... Your, natural immunity. Yes, 13 times more natural immune. And, and um, of course, everybody's going to contest that. But. but going back to the prime minister, I think people are tired of being told that they're too stupid to think for themselves. Right. And I will say right now that I'm glad our governor, Reynolds, has said Iowans can make up their own minds. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that she is treating us like adults. Right. I, I've been impressed by her comments that way. And I and not necessarily her comments, but her... her um, standing by them Mm. Um, because I think what people are forgetting is our freedoms and there's two freedoms that I constantly think of not only in our own country because that's what our country was founded on 
But even more, there's a more important freedom. What about the choice of free will that Jesus Christ gave us? So with so many of these mandates and these vaccines, it's going against the grain. It's going against morality, as far as I'm concerned, to force people to get into these things. I'm not pro-vaccine and I'm not anti-vaccine. I am, let me make up my own mind. God gave me one that I can think with. So let's try out critical thinking. But so many people, the thing that concerns me, they're just giving in. Well, my employer requires it. You Not know? giving in. They're, they're uh, giving up. And yeah. speaking of that here, uh, go deeper here. This is, this is uh, a circumvention of civil rights. My employer requires this. Um, so there's a growing movement that you're taking civil rights, which the government should not infringe upon, and they're using third parties, businesses and technology companies to enforce that which the government knows they will not win in a uh, civil rights case here. Uh, the First Amendment, Second Amendment, Third Amendment, all of, all of that, you can't. So it was, uh, what, three days ago, five days ago, when Biden is losing patience, he's giving everybody a chance, and you haven't gotten vaxxed, and so now he's going to require employers with more than 100 employees mm-hmm. to administer, do what he knows he cannot legally enforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I saw a story that said there's a New York hospital that had to shut down its maternity ward because the nurses won't comply Bravo. with getting the shot. Bravo. Yeah. So Bravo. I think we'll see these little sparks of encouragement around. Patriots. Patriots around. Um, but that's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Shutting down a maternity ward since nurses won't comply with the mandate. Yeah, we need more of that. I, you know, and part of it is, is there is a peer pressure and... You know, one of the things this kind of leads into another um, Michael Matt headline that he had this previous week was um, he showed the video of Robert F. Kennedy kind of detailing out some of the um, findings that he found in his research so that he can write, well, his new book is written, but doing the research and preparing to write that book. And just the things that our government's been doing, the globalists who have been trying to get control of the world since World War One. And it used to be that so much of it was conspiracy theory, but his point in all of this is saying it's not conspiracy theory anymore, you know, and it's just like people. Remember where that came from? No. Who coined that? I don't know. Who did? The Central Intelligence Agency in the early 1960s. They did. I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that either. It's just a mind game. Right. If you want to discount uh, the truth... Just label it a conspiracy theory. And, and, you know, that's a you bring up a great point. You said you were talking about it's a mind game. Well, sure it is. And one of the things that was so cool that really captivated me listening to Robert F. Kennedy, you know, look at that family. They've had a lot of trauma in their family. They've all been involved in government. So he, he has a point. But one of the things that he was talking about was the mind control, and he was talking about an experiment where um, there was a... Basically, the experiment was is that in one room was a guy that was going to receive um, volts of electricity. Mm-hmm. He was hooked up to a um, machine that would administer um, basically electric shock. And the people that would administer 
or press the button basically to administer the voltage. In another room. In another room, did not see him or the victim, but they could only hear him. So then another volunteer that was part of the experiment, who was not a doctor, but came in in the appearance of a doctor, had the lab coat on, walked in, very authoritarian, said, you will do this, this is what we need you to do. And basically what happened is is people listened to the doctor because the experiment came back saying something like 67% of people responded to authority, not to the cries of the people screaming in the other mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. They even said that some of the people who were pushing the button, listening to the doctor, the supposed doctor, just because of the authority, they would listen to him, but they were crying and pleading with him while they kept doing delivering high-voltage shock to the, to the person in the room that they couldn't see. Yeah, and I think that was a psych experiment, and it kind of plays in with World War II and the guards at the concentration camps that said I was just following orders. Right. Yeah, it's quite quite telling, isn't it? It, it? it is quite telling because I want to go deeper on this because what's, how is that any different than our bishop saying, get the vax? Or Biden telling our employers, you need to mandate vaccinations or masks or whatever. Why aren't 67% of the people starting to wise up and say enough is enough? We have pockets of this throughout the world. Politicians are here to run our government on our lives clergy to get us to heaven right but I, th- I think part of it too is it's not just the archbishops or the bishops saying that or the politicians saying that it's family members saying that you i won't let you around your grandkids mm-hmm. unless you're you know have gotten the shot it's it's pressure from every angle and pretty soon i think people go i give i give i'll just mm-hmm. get it mm-hmm. right and they do but that falls back into Janet's story about the uh, authority figure in the lab coat walking in. If if you are exposed to this ongoing, now an onslaught of opinion, get it, you got it, you know, it's, and it lacks critical thinking here. It It really. I think after a while people go, maybe I'm wrong. Right. Right. Maybe I'm wrong. If everybody else thinks it's good, then maybe I'm wrong. Or what am I not seeing? Am Mm -hmm. I, am I, well, I thought if you got the measles vaccine, you don't get the measles. You know, right. That's if, what... If you, if you got the... the smallpox. Smallpox vaccine, vaccine smallpox. You, don't get, you don't get that. Right. But I do remember they've never said that you wouldn't get COVID if you got the shot. They never said that. They said um, you might still get it and you could still transmit it, but your symptoms wouldn't be as bad. But most people don't hear that. They think vaccine, I'm not going to get it, right? That's why I take a polio um, cube, sugar cube, so I don't get polio. Right. So I don't. I I think there's that misconception. I know. I know a young guy who, well, young in his fifties, he's gotten both his shots and his booster. Um, came down with COVID last week. Wow. So, and people are shocked. You go, well, you know, it. They never said it wouldn't keep you from getting it or transmitting it. Well, and how many more boosters do people have to get before you say, hey, this is not working, this is a lie, this is not right? Well, how and many it, Greek alphabets are there? Yeah, right, yeah. until we run out of all the Greek alphabets. Um, but someone asked Fauci, I think it was on CNN, well, what about natural immunity? If oh, you, that was great. If you've had COVID, then you have natural immunity, so then why do you need to get a shot? And he said he didn't have a firm answer. Yeah. He didn't have a firm answer. Well, he went further. He went to say, we need to, quote, sit down and examine this here. So now we're two years into this. We're nearly two years into this 
pandemic and the guy thinks it might be time to discuss what seems to be uh, a first question in, in any of us. Is there natural immunity? Isn't that with regard to any sickness, illness? Sure. Isn't natural immunity among the first conversations? Yeah, Basic well, medicine. And according to Dr. Sanjay Gupta, yeah. um, he pointed out that a recent study in Israel showed that natural immunity is 27 times more effective than the Pfizer vaccine. Yeah, that's 27% coming out of Israel, and the report that I saw said 13. So whether it's 13 or 27 is not the point. The point is is that this is that many times more natural and powerful mm-hmm. than the, getting the shot. Right, and the other thing that Fauci said was, well, we don't know how long that natural immunity lasts. Well, maybe not, but you're asking people to get boosters every five or six months. Yeah, this is just crazy. Yeah. The other thing that I want to just point out is that... Um, in Robert F. Kennedy's research in his book, this experiment that we're talking about where 67% of the people would just listen to authority for the sake of listening to authority to basically kill somebody. I looked in the TH and I've been following the records of, about how many people have been vaccinated in the county and in, in, in the tri-state area. And ironically, it's about 66 67%. to 67%. <laughs> so there you go. So we're right on, on target with that percentage then. Well, we got through one headline and a, um, a walk through the woods with Janet. That's right. <laughs> Virtual walk. Well, we're uh, near the end of the first segment. This is The Chatter. I'm Tom Oglesby. Colleen Pasnick. Janet Wagner. We will be back after these announcements. We are back. This is The Chatter. I'm Tom Oglesby. Colleen Pasnick. Janet Wagner. And, uh, well, we got through one headline there in the first segment here. That's what happens when we take a week off. And uh, I was just reminded, uh, so this airs, the show airs Saturdays in the afternoon at 1 o'clock and then Sunday um, late afternoon at... Uh, oh, 6 p.m. 6 o'clock. We, no, it's not 5. Catherine's on at Catherine's 5. Catherine's on at 5. Listen to Quovadas, too. Catherine O'Brien at 5 o'clock, Quovadas. Yeah, and then she, she's a good warm-up act. Is the will the Notre Dame games be on or how, yeah, how does so, that work? Yeah, so we've got Notre Dame twelve games. At this recording, we're uh, two games into the twelve game season, not counting a bowl game if they uh, they go that route, and they usually do. So um, Saturdays we may be preempted unless there's a uh, late start on that here. So. Stay tuned. Check your local listings. Although, hey, I think if, if the Chatter listeners can call Notre Dame and say that they need to move the game so they can listen to the Chatter, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think they I think that would trump any kind of contract that they have. There you go. We might have to do that. Although we do have a Sunday night or a Saturday night uh, spot, an hour we might be able to plug it into. But, yeah. well, the Chatter... The chatterheads are snoozing late in the evenings here. So, <laughs> anyway, we got some headlines. Colleen, what do you got? You got a bunch of yeah, you pro know, life stuff. Quite a bit of pro life news um, out there in the past week or t- uh, or two that we haven't really talked about. I don't think. Of course, the biggest news was Texas. Yes, right. Their heartbeat law saying um, abortion is illegal after you can hear a heartbeat, which honestly is about you know less than six weeks before a woman even knows she's pregnant. You know, some people think it's as early as 20-some days. Um, So by the time she knows she's pregnant, there is a heartbeat. Um, So praise God for Texas 
and and their law. Well, of course, it was challenged. And uh, went by to, whom? Uh, oh gosh, somebody, somebody bad, somebody that wants to kill more babies, and mm-hmm. I can't think of who it was right now. But um, it got challenged and then sent to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Courts allowed the Texas bill to uh, stand. They were not going to hear the challenge to it. To me, that's the victory. It's kind of a double victory there. Um, the other caveat that disturbed me is our Catholic, supposed Catholic, emphasis on supposed, um, President Joe Biden made a statement basically saying that we're going to do all we can for women's health, for people, basically women who need abortion. So well, He's doing a, more than that. Right. He's got the Justice Department bringing, bringing suit against it. He's doing everything he can to undo this and wreak havoc. And I just pray for this man's soul because... Pray for his conversion, folks, because if he dies before he converts, it's not going to be pretty. You know, and uh, Cardinal Wilton Gregory, who is the Archbishop Cardinal of Washington, D.C., so, Mm -hmm. of course, that's Biden's area, he said that President Biden, quote, is not demonstrating Catholic teaching. And so he just made a statement. He didn't have any conversation with the president, did he? No conversation with the president, no. Well, we don't know that. Well, we don't know that if it was a private conversation, but certainly no news has come out about how he has told the priest of Washington that they may not give him communion. Well, so this thing- is a this is a great step here by the uh, uh, Cardinal Archbishop of Washington D.C., the uh, preeminent uh, diocese, perhaps only behind Baltimore, as being the first diocese. But is it, it begs the question here? He's, he, he makes the statement that President Biden is not in line with Catholic teaching. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of it. That's and it. he doesn't explain what Catholic teaching is. This is a teaching moment. The shepherds of the Catholic Church have the duty and responsibility to teach. So he's, he's half, maybe not even halfway there. You know, if he had true charity in his heart toward the president, he would call Biden to repentance on this, like you were just saying, Jen. He would call him to repentance. That would be true charity. Why? Admonish the sinner is an act of mercy. Why call him to repentance? Yeah. For the salvation of his soul. There you go. Yeah. There you go. It's for the salvation of his soul. And we have to look at reality here. What happened? So basically, that cardinal missed an opportunity to teach the other thing that's being missed to me, in my opinion, is when you have these politicians and you have these bishops that are basically over them because they supposedly practice in that diocese, where is the sit-down with them? Where is the phone call? Where is the pastoralship? Where is the, let's put well, my all, arm around all, your all shoulder of, and yeah, talk? Yeah, all, all of that perhaps should be done privately, and we don't, yes. we don't need to be a party to that. No, but it's made public. It should be a public repentance. True, but the conversation, the call to repentance... Private. Ought, in a first step, be done privately. And but how I think many years do you give Biden? Do you have you have a com- private conversation with him and you say, okay, if you don't change your position on that in the next 12 years, I mean, what do you say? I mean, no, it should be immediate. This is, this is the preeminent issue of our church. Even the USCCB, the Catholic Bishops Conference, has made that statement. I think we need to remember what business we're in. Yeah, salvation of, souls. salvation of souls. And that's here. where the charity comes in, and that's where admonish the sinner comes in, with charity, of course. And then the other thing is, is if we look at the reality of what happened is, and of course I wasn't there, 
but I'm just drawing on your minds to picture this, is that, so Biden makes these comments about the pro-life victory in Texas on the heartbeat bill. Did he receive communion on Sunday? And what's wrong with that picture? Don't know. I mean, maybe it was back in Delaware, and I don't know either. But I know what you're saying. But do you two, sometimes I get this feeling. Do you two get this feeling that it's just a big dance? That it's just... Kabuki theater. Kabuki theater. It's the the um, Democrat president. Their platform is pro-death. He is going to say, he's going to call killing babies a health care right. So he's going to do that. And then the cardinal's going to say, oh, that's wrong. And then Biden's going to say this. And then the archbishop, do you have a feeling it's just this made up dance that nothing's ever really going to happen or change? Yeah, it's a dance called phraseology. Both the bishops and the Democrats choose their phrases um, very ingenuously, I quite frankly. I thought it frankly. was the hokey pokey. Well, it is the hokey pokey, but why do so many people fall into this category to vote for these people and support these people? And it's wrong. But he, Biden knows Gregory's not going to do anything, mm-hmm. right? But he, but he knows he has to make a, a strongly worded statement. But he knows he's not going to do anything. But that wasn't a strongly worded statement. Yeah, that's true. No. It wasn't even that a was, strongly worded no, statement. He, he stated the obvious. <laughs> and a, a, a few people are waving the flag. Oh, the archbishop did something. But it, he, didn't, he didn't say anything concrete that would inflame the, um, the liberal wing of Catholicism to say, oh, enough of that Catholicism here. I, I mean, we, I, got a, I got a letter... I got a letter from from a Catholic priest who was talking about Father James Altman, and he criticized Father James Altman for being holier than the Catholic Church. What does that mean? How many degrees of holiness are there in the Catholic Church? But here is the mindset of a Catholic priest who is taking issue with orthodoxy and the preaching of the catechism, or otherwise known as the truth. Yeah, and that's, that is the um, crux of the matter as that is out there. Is, is why is it so difficult, first of all, to be so blinded by what the world offers when it comes to the truth? You know, and one of the things that I always look at is, if it's the truth, then state it. It's unapologetically. Going to, unapologetically. There's, there's no reason not to. It's scary, yes. But you know what? If we offer that up, there's so much merit in that, not only for our eternal salvation, but for the people we might be offering it up for. We talked about that in a few episodes ago. But this is just, um, how, do we, how do we change the wave of humanity and all these, these agendas out there, whether it's a democratic platform agenda, LGBTQ agenda, all the evil, the the death, all the death stuff, all the negative stuff. How did that get to be so popular and mainstream? Why is the truth being sidelined? Well, the truth is being here. Here's the uh, the flow chart. Here's the flow chart. Um, the church is in tr- in charge of the truth. Culture is downstream from the church. Politics is downstream from the culture. In the absence of the truth, in other words, the church has abdicated her mission, culture goes rampant, anything goes, and politics will now cater 
pander to the carnal desires of the culture and give you whatever you, it's what they did in Rome. It was uh, food and circus and, and mm-hmm. uh, the games here. That's right. That's right. And if you look at our culture, we kicked God out a long time ago. So we really can't be surprised if we kick God out in the what, 50s. When was the kick him out of school? Was that the 50s, 60s? Mm-hmm. You know, and kick out of every every arena. Then you can't be too surprised that the ruler of this world is in charge of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was listening to a program um, where it was talking about making a, making a comparison to where we're at today in society and then also making that comparison to when Jesus basically walked the face of the earth <clears throat> and, it, and everything was contrary to him. And this is the month of our sorrowful mother. So if you have an opportunity to learn or pray the sorrowful rosary to our blessed mother, the month of September is for that. And um, in this program, they were talking about how when you look at what's going on through the eyes of our blessed mother now, imagine her weeping no differently than when she wept when Jesus was here, all the things that he went through. You know, this just keeps um, piling on more and more torments. It makes the cross unbearable um, for Christ because time is of no essence. But we really need to continue to pray. We always say that for for conversion, for conversion of everyone, of our world. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people talk about the fall of the culture in western civilization and compared to the fall of rome as it you know decayed into decadence and bread and circuses or whatever you're saying tom um and and that i think is probably accurate Mm -hmm. i mean we are we're falling but at some point it turned around and how and i took a hundred couple hundred years right but then we eventually got the michelangelo's the mozarts i mean it did not stay in depravity but how did it, how did it turn around? I, and I don't know. I, I, oh, that's easy. Okay. Saints. Saints. <laughs> yeah, saints will be raised up for our yeah. times. And imagine all the saints, as at, bad as it is. Look at the great saints. Athanasius, St. Uh, Bernard, the, uh, the uh, my metal guy. St. Benedict. Benedict. The great Benedictine monasteries, the great uh, monks. Yeah, it was, it was the church. Those were called the Dark Ages, and those are really—that's really a misnomer. Um, They—they were the Middle Ages, uh, the fall of the Roman Empire, was not a uh, a Dark Age. It was—it was an age of great light. Charlemagne, the uh, Holy Roman Empire, Uh, the great legacy of the Catholic Church was founded in the monasteries. There were, uh, for the first time, orphanages established. That was part of the difference in the in the late fall of the uh, of the Roman Empire, is that Christians started taking care of widows and orphans and women. So the West was one. The West of. was West West was one, and then the great universities, the great colleges, the hospitals, uh, the hospitals, the orphanages, all the educational science, institutions. Mm-hmm. Science was uh, education was was the uh, backbone of of uh, Catholicism. And everyone who wants to talk about the, the Renaissance and the Enlightenment uh, as being the Golden Age, and nothing could be further from the truth. That's, that's a great um, bastardization of history, quite frankly. The Enlightenment is 
is the darkness. The endarkenment. The endarkenment. I like that. Write that down here. <laughs> serious. The endarkenment. The dark ages were really a time of lightness, uh, the saints and the church, and the enlightenment was really the endarkenment. The world and the and God are opposite. Right. Right. Yeah. And you can see it too, like with secular secularization. I mean, even back then, throughout all of history, actually, even in the Old Testament, I mean, you see that frequently the ebb and flow of good and evil, good and evil, and that's what it comes down to is the presence of good and the presence of evil and how God reigns. He'll raise up saints. He's raising up saints for these times. Are we saints? Who among us is a saint? Who's willing to die to self and die to all these struggles and offer it up and pray and go to Mass daily and receive the sacraments? That's a pretty impressive thing to do. It's very impressive, and it's all we can do, right? We say, well, I'm just one person. What can I do? You can be a saint. You can fast. Yeah. And everybody wants to go to heaven, but the only people in heaven are the saints. Right. Mm -hmm. So if people want to go to heaven, they need to work on being a saint. Exactly. Here. Here, on earth. Right. Yeah. And just the influence that it has. I mean, the power of one person, you might not think it really makes a difference, but it does. The other thing is, is, uh, this was in a homily that I listened to yesterday, was... um, it's not about the problem when we talk about sufferings like this. The, the problem is not the problem because not to focus on that because God is allowing it through his permissive will for you and I and all of us to experience these sufferings. The amazing part is, is what do we do with them? Do we wallow in self-pity or do we turn it around and offer it up and make some sort of Hail Mary or penance or or strengthen me lord help me just a little ejaculatory prayer you know what is it that we can do exactly and you know he he wanted us he made us for this time and place and and that's because this is the best chance we have of say that again because i don't think i think that's going over a lot of people's heads so we could have been born at any time or place right i mean god willed us to be born in this time and in this place you mean Mm -hmm. it's not accidental it's not accidental he chose us from before we were born psalm 138 right so god chose us so sometimes i think oh man wouldn't it have been cool to live back when the church was in all her glory uh, and you know everything was coming along great, and then I think, oh, I would have had to probably clean my laundry by beating it against a rock. And then I'm like, man, maybe I didn't want to live then. But you know, God chose us to live here and now in this time, in this place, because this is our best chance to get to heaven. He wants our salvation. He wants everybody's salvation, and this is the best opportunity for us. You make me think of you know when we wanted to grow up and what time period we wanted to live in. I always thought it'd be kind of neat to live in the pioneer days where I could be a pioneer girl growing up on the plains and basically basically a little house in the prairie episode. And somebody reminded me that I was in a conversation with about that. It said, well, if it gets any worse, you might get your wish. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we'll praise and thank God that uh, he made us for this time and place and uh, and praise God. We'll do our best to become saints here and now. Well, we're wrapping up the second segment of the chatter here, episode number 11. We're going to come back with episode uh, number or or segment number three, segment number three, when Colleen will talk more about pounding laundry down (laughs) at the Mississippi. We will be back right after this. We are back. This is the chatter with segment three of episode 11. I'm Tom Oglesby. I'm Janet Wagner. Colleen Pasnick. 
and we've got some good stuff to talk about, but uh, I think before we get into the priests and some of the uh, things going on here, there's a uh, word that's creeping into, a phrase that's creeping into the urban dictionary here. We're getting a lot of calls. Matter of fact, I had a guy here the other day after Mass. He says, uh, I'm hearing a lot about canceled priest. Is that a thing? What is that here? So what, what is a canceled priest? In fact, there's a uh, coalition of canceled priests that have been uh, founded, organized, doing out here. So, so what did you tell him? Well, I think there's two things. One, we've got to define what a canceled priest is. And two, then we have to define what it isn't because without knowing what it is, uh, the imagination runs. So a priest that is canceled is one who is typically very orthodox, who has been not reassigned his, his, um, his pastorship or his assignment at a school or a uh, particular hospital or whatever has not been renewed. He essentially hasn't. Now there, there's a uh, priest that a lot of listeners are going to know right here inside this uh, signal of KCRD across the river here. There was a great priest for many years, Parker, Father Parker over there, who built that beautiful chapel and uh, expanded some parking and saved a lot of souls. And got the strip joints out of downtown East Dubuque. By... By Eucharist. processions with the Did he, did he take the monstrance? Yes. Took the monstrance up, up Cincinnawa and down Cincinnawa. Yeah. With, with a procession of people that followed him to do it. Mm-hmm. Praise be to God for so that. So very, very orthodox priest, a very prayerful pr- priest. I will go on here just at a personal level. I'm not going to make any claims. This man is as close to a saint as I have ever known. When this man heard my confession, I truly felt like Christ was on the other side of the screen. So he got, this is the Rockford Diocese, and he he got moved to a parish anywhere. He was latest in uh, Batavia, and um, his uh, bishop told him that uh, at the end of the assignments, which usually come out in June and July of every year in every diocese, that he no longer was pastor and he did not have a uh, subsequent um, assignment. That's canceled. That's that's kicked to the screen. Now, what isn't a canceled priest? Canceled priest is not someone who committed sexual abuse. Canceled priest is not someone who embezzled church funds. Canceled priest is not somebody who played fast and heavy and 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 all of this okay those are criminal charges canceled priest is someone who is typically very orthodox speaks the truth preaches the truth and gets canceled and does not have any allegations against him no allegations any kind of abuse or wrongdoing and no no allegations against them but what they do have and it's very visible is a following Many conversions, I mean, it's hundreds, it's thousands of people that start following these priests. And the number one thing is because most of the lady have said, and you'll hear this with Father Altman, is 
I'm thirsty. I'm not being fed. Mm-hmm. That's that's that is a common phrase that these priests share um, when they speak out. Is that so, what so the lady is saying? An example of that is Father Parker. Another example is Father Altman. There are no allegations against him. There's a um, statement that says he's not obedient to the bishop. His case is under appeal. He has a canon lawyer. It's being appealed to Rome. Where I come from, every man is innocent until proven guilty. Correct. Every diocese in the country has canceled priests. We are unaware of any diocese that doesn't have a canceled priest at one time or another. And across the river here where Father Parker is, there's uh, somewhere between 9, 10, or 11 of these priests in the uh, last seven or eight years that have been canceled. So I think this is important to know because we support all of our priests. We will continue to do that. And I know a lot of priests are not uh, aware of that. There's always a question of obedience and loyalty to bishops. We're all about that. We stated earlier in a show that we thank God for the office that is bishop in every diocese, and we have great esteem and respect for the man that that occupies that office in any diocese. Having said that, we support all of the priests that are being canceled. Not to be confused with priests who have been charged with allegations of financial, sexual, or other deviant behavior here. Those are separate issues, and uh, those charges need to be taken very seriously. All of those things that you're talking about actually makes me think of another headline, which people may have seen, is that Mel Gibson recently came out in support of um, Bishop Vigano, or Cardinal Vigano. Mm Mm-hmm basically saying that when he was producing the film, he tried to work with some different bishops. and The film? Yes. The Passion. The Passion of the Christ. And in, his, in, in what he was saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, is that he said, you know, so many bishops just shunned him in, uh, as in his work when he was trying to produce that film. And that his experience, he brought up the word hirelings. And, and he talked about who hired these guys. Was it Francis? And then he, he didn't give an answer, but he gave another question that said, and who hired him? And I think, I, I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, in, in, in what he was saying, because so many people don't realize the muck that goes on inside of the church, the infiltration that has occurred, and the seriousness of what has been transpiring over the years. And um, I found it um, quite amazing um, his, his uh, take on the Catholic Church and his depth of knowledge. He's not a dummy. No. I wish he would have gone deeper uh, talking about why the... He didn't say the bishop shunned him when he made the movie. He said they ran they, from him. They That's couldn't true. get away from me fast enough was right. what he said, yeah. And is that movie nearly 20? 20 years 2005. old? 2005. 2005. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I watch it every year. That's my one of my Lenten practices. I uh, watch it frequently, and um, the passion scene is... Uh, sometimes I can get through it, and sometimes I can't. Um, that, that wasn't artistic license 
Uh, he based that on the uh, visions of a uh, um, Augustinian nun, Anne Catherine Emmerich, the uh, stigmatist. And also in the movie, they couldn't. <clears throat> I remember one of the comments when he was being interviewed is that when they were producing the film, they had to be careful about what they could bring to the screen because the actual crucifixion was so much worse than what they could actually show. Hmm. And that just gives me chills talking about that. Was Caviezel hit by lightning during that? He was. Uh, more than yeah. once, I think. When he was on the cross, yeah. And he dislocated his shoulder. Yeah. He had to have heart surgery. And heart because surgery, he was yeah. hit oh, by kidding. lightning. I didn't know about yeah. that. Yeah, it threw his heart out of rhythm. But uh, do you remember when uh, the film was being made, hadn't come out yet, and all of the people were saying, oh, it's going to cause anti-Semitism, oh, it's going to be horrible, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All this yeah. dire prediction. And then the film came out, and it was a blockbuster. Mm -hmm. And lots of famous actors and actresses were like, I never knew that. I never knew. I ran home. I, I found a Bible. That stuff actually happened. Mm -hmm. What an evan evangelical tool that was mm -hmm. um, to get the word out about what our Lord suffered for us. And it basically shut him down in Hollywood for the rest of his life. And Jim Caviezel to a, yes. a great degree. And so it's you look at people like that, and it's just like they're inspirational in the sense of they still brought the truth. They did it in a way that tied into their gifts and talents that God gave them. Um, they're not afraid. They, I mean, they're out of work. Mm -hmm. And some people can say, well, yeah, but they have more money than God, you know. But so how does that affect them? That's a point that's not even worth listening to, quite frankly. That's just jealousy. But the reality is, is that they brought the truth. And what are we doing? Yeah, yeah, right. We all have a responsibility to speak the truth. And to get back what you had said about um, um, what he said in his recording about how they were hirelings and who mm -hmm. hired them, mm -hmm. that is a great question because a lot of times you can get to the root of a lot of stuff by just following the money. Well, and how, how, are, how do bishops come to be bishop? It's a very good question. So there's process, right? So Yeah, process, names are submitted. But here's an interesting statistic in the last... Let's just call it a 2021 statistic here. It was uh, reported that of the priests who are asked to be bishop, that they're, they're offered the office of bishop in 2021, two out of three decline. Two out of three? And why is that? And com comparison to a historical average where if you took a longer view over some decades, it might have been something like one or two out of ten. Hmm. And so wherever you read that statistic, did they speculate why that might be? Yeah, I'd be interested to know that. Oh, I think you just pick up the news here. Just because of the daunting leadership that's required of the office, is that? I think it's daunting, and I think there is a uh, crisis of, of truth here. Hmm. Um, one, being a bishop at any point in time is a difficult position, but it has uh, become a very uh, political and managerial uh, issue here. I mean, we, we yeah, talked it, about that in, in... It has. I mean, if you look at even some of the bishops, priests that we've known that have become bishop in, bishop in the last five or ten years or so, you start looking at their resume... It's like, well, what do they do? You know, what what's stand out? How many? I mean, to me, I'll put my kindergarten hat on. To me, if I think of a bishop as a kindergartner, 
that would be one of the most holiest men in the diocese. And wow, what did he do that his peers would say, this, this you goes should back, be bishop? Yeah, this goes back to your comment from Gibson, who made the... He's, he's, you need to watch the video. In fact, I think what we'll do is we'll play on the 22nd of September at our fundraiser at the Grand River Center. That's Wednesday, September 22nd. We need to get this on the air. We're recording on the 13th. We're going to play the Gibson video. It's about five minutes long. We'll get it up on our uh, website. But Gibson says, with respect to the bishops, they're more like, uh, and he's quoting gospel now, they're more like hirelings mm-hmm. than, so it's the good shepherd story, right? Mm-hmm. They're more like hirelings than the shepherd here. Uh, the shepherd who knows their voice and they know my voice and all of that, but the hireling runs when the wolf comes or the white-tailed deer that you were talking <laughs> about here earlier. So Gibson's going down that road. Yeah, I think, it's a, I think it was a great thing. To He's con- making the statement that says most bishops are hirelings. His words, not mine. No, you're right. His words, his words. Most bishops are hirelings. And what does the gospel say about that? Because like you just said, when the wolf comes, the hirelings run, mm-hmm. right? They run. So so I can maybe understand why two out of three men might decline the office of bishop. So it would suggest that there must be some peer pressure amongst the bishopric to behave not rock the boat in a certain way. You you know that that can't be coincidental. That right, or maybe even a fear of losing their soul. I mean, they know. I mean, everything that's going on in the church. What do you mean by that? Um, that if there's a good, solid priest that has all the common sense bullet points, so to speak, of being a bishop, someone a priest who's led many souls to the faith, delivers the Catholic Church teaching from the pulpit. Um, prays with the people, goes out and meets the people, is with them in celebratory times, with them in times of suffering. You know, all these things that in our laity's mind that we would think would be good um, um, attributes of a bishop. And they look at that and they look at what's going on in the political realm of the church, the infiltration realm of the church, the scandals, the sex abuse, the stuff that's been going on and not fixed, and all the stories. They all know. They all know this stuff. Um, they may not even want to get involved in it because they're afraid of losing their own soul, of maybe feeling like they'll be peer pressured into following an agenda they don't want to follow. They're human. It's an interesting insight. Mm-hmm. Interesting insight. But it's got layers of uh, implications, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. definitely. Layers and layers. And, you know, honestly, none of us even know the truth about it, right? Yeah, There's we don't. There's so many uh, characters behind the scenes, so many currents going on that we have no idea about. One character is McCarrick. You know, that was mm-hmm. one of our topics mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. He entered the courtroom and pleaded not guilty. So mm-hmm. how, do, how about all his victims that have had their lives ruined? Well, that's standard here. here. How about the victims that had their lives ruined, but then how many people did he recommend to be made bishop? Exactly. So you kind of have this network going on of right. who gets promoted, right, to the bishop. So we've just introduced two concepts here. One, Gibson with the hireling and the shepherds here. But then we've introduced the, uh, the story that just won't die, uh, Ted McCarrick, who is truly Ted McCarrick. He's, Ted he's, McCarrick, he's, yep. he's uh, Uncle Ted has been laicized. 
I said it a while ago, and uh, I don't know if it was on this show or another show that we did here. This is episode 11, but here, here's what I think is going on here. It is a great crime, a great sin in the Catholic Church that the homosexual predation and abuse that bishops and priests have ushered in on, on um, the, the, the faithful. And, I w- and, and we did get a note here from, uh, from a woman who said it's not solely related to homosexuals. It's about 80% that way, but there are others that were sexually abused. Point taken, all of that here. And there are um, thousands of those who have been abused and the settlements in terms of dollars have reached more than four billion of your dollars. Four billion of your dollars have been paid out in settlement to the abuse victims. Well, and part of it is is it needed to be those people's lives. I got a are point ruined. here. This is this is the hammer. Don't lose the headline here. The biggest abuse crisis in the Catholic Church is not the sexual abuse crisis. It is the spiritual abuse crisis. That has affected every Catholic, man, woman, and child. The the withholding of teaching of the Catholic faith by bishops and priests dwarfs the sexual abuse crisis by a magnitude beyond belief because each one of us have been affected by spiritual abuse by hirelings not being shepherds. That's a great point. Well said. Well said. That is a great point. Hard to argue. And we are out of time. We're out of time. But you're listening to The Chatter. I'm Colleen Pasnick. And I'm Janet Wegner. Tom Oglesby on FM 98.3 KCRD. Join us in prayer. In the name of the Father. Father, And the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the the Father, Father, and and to the the Son, and to the the Holy Spirit, Spirit, as it was in the beginning, beginning, is now, and and ever shall be, world world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.